The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Hello and welcome to ILTV's Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, Trump and Putin discuss Israeli interests at the Helsinki summit, the Knesset bans left-wing NGOs like breaking the silence from visiting schools, and an Israeli medical cannabis firm heads overseas for a huge million-dollar deal. Heartbreaking images just now. A group of roughly 200 displaced Syrian civilians has just marched up to the Israeli border waving white flags in an apparent plea for asylum. Now, Israel has helped thousands of Syrians in similar circumstances in the past through either direct aid or covert help. But in this case, Israeli soldiers along the border now were apparently given direct orders to turn the group away. <laughs> IDF spokespeople initially said that they were unaware of the incident, but the army later elaborated, saying that this dispersion order was issued because the Syrians were apparently approaching a field of active landmines. President Assad's forces are mobilizing as we speak for a deadly new drive to crush rebel forces in this region. These devastating pleas are likely soon to become cries of pain as the Syrian civil war rages on into its seventh deadly year. Despite the crisis, Israel has said that it cannot accept refugees, but that it will continue to deliver aid when it can. Now, U.S. President Donald Trump has just met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in the Helsinki summit. While Trump's apparent endorsement of Putin at this summit is drawing some major flack back at home, even from GOP party leaders, there is someone who presumably comes out on top here, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. In fact, Israeli security was at the forefront of the Trump-Putin statements to the press, with both sides pledging a resolution to the growing threat on Israel's northern border with Syria. Uh, President Putin also is helping Israel. And we both spoke with Bibi Netanyahu, and they would like to do certain things with respect to Syria having to do with the safety of Israel. So in that respect, we absolutely would like to work in order to help Israel. And Israel will be working with us. So both countries would work jointly. Speaking with journalists after the meeting, Trump promised that the leader of America's biggest arch rival was committed to helping Israel and that the man was personally a big fan of Prime Minister Netanyahu. The summit comes just a few days after Netanyahu himself met with Putin in Moscow to discuss Israeli security concerns. With Russia heavily involved in Syria for the last several years now, Putin has ostensibly overseen the flow of Iranian forces into the destabilized southern region. But many believe that a unified Netanyahu-Trump front has successfully convinced Putin to pull those proxy armies several dozen kilometers away from Israel's front door. Восстановить режим прекращения огня между Сирийской Арабской Республикой и Израилем, надежно обеспечить безопасность государства Израиль. 
For many Americans, however, this summit presented something of a disturbing conundrum. Trump seemed to defy his own intelligence agencies by agreeing with Putin's assertion that Russia was uninvolved in any attempts to sway the 2016 presidential election in his favor. And yet, just three days ago, Special Counsel Robert Mueller announced criminal indictments for 12 Russian operatives working directly under Russian military intelligence. They were charged with hacking Democratic servers and actively working to influence the results of the 2016 election. American leaders across the aisle were stunned, to say the least, to hear Trump openly siding with perhaps America's biggest regional nemesis. President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. And what he did is an incredible offer. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with their investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer. Okay, thank you. Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan demanded that Trump, quote, appreciate that Russia is not our ally, end quote. Other Republicans called the president's words shameful, a historic low point, and a tragic mistake. Now, Israel may indeed see the fruits of this high-stakes meeting, but in his home country, many will be expecting President Trump to offer some clarification. Well, on a related note, and coming on the heels of this Helsinki summit, many are very curious about how Prime Minister Netanyahu managed to get two of the biggest world leaders to put Israel's needs front and center, and two rival powers, no less. Well, here with the analysis, Israeli author and journalist with Yedot Achronot, Bendro Yamini. Bendro, thank you so much for coming. Now, I've got to ask, you obviously know a lot of how this inside baseball kind of works. How did Netanyahu pull off a feat like this? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, first of all, we have to admit that after so many years, uh, talks about the isolation of Israel, you know, we all remember John Kerry mm. threatening again and again and some others and the Israeli media uh, saying, well, Israel is going to be the most isolated uh, state in the West. It did not happen. It did not happen. We have to, uh, we have to uh, admit first. Mm-hmm. Now, second, something very interesting is happening here because actually the advantages that we are talking about of Netanyahu are mainly with uh, some democracies that are not liberal. You know, we have liberal democracies, we have uh, authoritarian uh, uh, democracies. Now, yes, he achieved a lot. Uh, When he went, uh, for example, to Africa, to one state, eight neighboring leaders uh, came to uh, uh, welcome him. I mean, you do not, you you cannot see it in any, uh, any other leader Right. from the West. I mean, maybe, uh, I don't know, the French uh, president, maybe. Sure. But the question is how? How did he pull it off with two... Uh, I have to admit that he has something in his personality. I mean, it's not only because he is the prime minister of Israel. I met him several times, uh, and yes, he is very impressive. Mm. I can understand why people are, are, attacked, uh, are attracted to his personality. Yes, it can be understood. He has something. He has something. He has this kind of leadership. Is uh, uh, projecting a kind of strength. He has something, we have to admit it, as the leader of Israel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we have to accept his policy. It doesn't mean that whatever he's doing is correct. And I'm not a big supporter of him. But, but we have to be realistic mm-hmm. and to understand that there is something in his personality that, that is attracting the leaders of Poland, the leaders of Hungary, the leaders of... I mean, not exactly democracies, democracies sure. in between. Sure, but it's politics. So, you know, further than It is that, politics, yeah. 
what do you think are the chances that both the U.S. and Russia are going to stick to this promise that they just made in, front, in Helsinki? That's, to, to that's something I, I hope. I hope what they say, what they said, what was declared mainly actually by mm. uh, uh, President Trump, is going to be realized. I'm not sure about it. I'm, I'm, we are not all. I mean, it, it, it's all. It's so. Uh, complicated, the right. whole uh, right. contradicting interests in, in uh, Syria. We don't really know what's going to happen. We know that Syria uh, does not really want uh, that the, the Iranian army will stay forever. We know it. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, uh, indicators. Uh, we know that Russia does not want it. What is really going to happen? We have no idea. Now it's only words. Sure. We, we have to wait that it will be realized, but, but I'm not sure that this declaration uh, can promise us all that everything is going to be okay. It's not. Sure, sure. No, I mean, obviously, as soon as we see a real demonstration of that, it's going to be a pretty big indicator that this is actually going to lead somewhere. Yeah. We could talk about this forever. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. Thank you. Interesting topic. Thank you. Well, yesterday evening, Palestinian terrorists broke the terms of Sunday's ceasefire deal by firing a rocket into Israeli territory. No damage or casualties have been reported in that incident, but the IDF has responded to the mere gesture by shuttering the Karen Shalom border crossing with Gaza. And at this time, food and aid will still be allowed in on a case-by-case basis, but all fuel and gas shipments will be turned back at the border. This is the second closing of Gaza's primary checkpoint in as many weeks, and it comes just a few days after some of the most turbulent hours between Israel and Gaza since the 2014 war, Operation Protective Edge. For nearly two days, terror cells fired upwards of 170 rockets into Israeli territory. One rocket injured an Israeli family of four in Sderot when their home was hit without warning. IDF forces responded in kind by pummeling some 40 Hamas targets within the Gaza Strip. Egypt reportedly stepped in to broker an emergency ceasefire deal before that situation spiraled into war. That deal held up for a day or two until yesterday evening when rocket sirens in southern Israel alerted civilians of an incoming enemy threat. This is on top of the persistence of Palestinians flying in firebombs over the border using homemade kites. That trend took a disturbing turn this morning with the discovery of a dead falcon near the Gaza border attached with strings that contained flammable material. The bird of prey was either deliberately being used by Palestinians to spark fires in Israel, or he fell victim to such an attempt by attacking a booby-trapped balloon. If the former is the case, then this will be the first attempt of its kind. Hamas has warned Israel of dire consequences for shutting down Karen Shalom. While some feel that the measure is the only way to make Hamas listen, others worry that the move will only be felt by the average Palestinians in Gaza, who already live in one of the most crippling humanitarian conditions on Earth. There is a growing sense of desperation in Gaza, without a doubt. But but for now, experts are split on whether or not that is a good thing and whether it will lead inevitably to peace, to war, or somewhere in between. The Knesset has just passed a new amendment to the Education Act into law. The new legislation now allows the state to ban groups that are critical of the IDF from even entering school grounds. Education Minister Naftali Bennett, who co-sponsored this amendment, praises the development. He says that, quote, anyone who wanders around the world attacking IDF soldiers will not enter a school, end quote. And LTV's Aaron Pors is here to discuss this story. So, Aaron, who is this likely to impact the most? 
Uh, well, the bill was primarily targeting breaking the silence. It was, it was even actually called the Breaking the Silence Bill as a pseudonym. Right. Um, and that's an NGO that publishes typically anonymous allegations of human rights sure. abuses. Not in the always, military. but sometimes right. anonymous, right? Uh, charges uh, said to come from former combat soldiers, as you also know, in the West Bank. Now, in, in fact, Bennett went on to single out Breaking the Silence after the bill passed, saying that long ago, you know, crossed the boundaries of legitimate discourse when they chose to slander Israel in the international arena. That being said, the Justice Ministry suspects that this bill would affect any organization that opposes Israeli presence in the West Bank. Right. So on one hand, of course, I know that Israeli leaders have long been trying to block organizations like Breaking the Silence because they say that it harms, you know, public security and national security. On the, on the other hand, there's not only an argument to be made about transparency with the army and conduct in the, in the occupied mm-hmm. territories, but also a free speech debate to be had as well, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, well, first, the political right here paints Breaking the Silence as traitorous. Uh, you know, M.K. Betelet Smotrich, who initiated the bill, said he disagrees that breaking the silence's rights to speak have been infringed at all, mm-hmm. and that because schools aren't necessarily in the public sphere, then they have no intrinsic right to speak there. Further, he said that, indeed, any group that undermines national and patriotic values should not be given that right in the first place. But from breaking the science's perspective, they believe that they're performing a vital national service by exposing issues that need attention. In fact, the NGO released a statement that read, in part, this attempt to gag breaking the science won't succeed in hiding the occupation from students, but it shows how afraid Bennett and his friends are of their own ideology. It goes on to point out that, you know, there aren't, uh, that they aren't anti-IDF simply because they are IDF soldiers. Right. As for those outside the organization that are also critical of the new bill, that includes those who see it as a missed opportunity to teach a lesson in critical thinking. And yes, people who see this as a free speech issue, as you said. Sure. You know, people like Principal Cohen, who actually invited Breaking the Science to speak at his school last year. Take a look. ולטעמי, אנחנו היום במדינת ישראל מדרדרים למקום שבו הציבור צריך לקום ולומר עד כאן. אי אפשר לחוקק חוקים סלקטיביים שפוגעים בקבוצות אוכלוסייה שלא מוצאות חן בעיני השלטון. ו- ואני חושב שכמנהל בית ספר, כמחנך, שזה חובתי לקום ולומר, רבותיי, עד כאן, החוקים האלה הם כבר חוקים שבאים לפגוע במרחב הדמוקרטי. אני לא נותן לזה יד, אני לא מסכים לזה ואני אתנגד לזה. Education is about thinking critically. It's about hearing people that you don't agree with. And this is what we want to teach our, our children to be. We don't want them just to hear one side of the story. We want them to hear things that we do not agree with them. Yeah, I mean, hearing those points of views, that's, that's an interesting argument. It's an interesting paradox here, this whole thing. Now, along those lines, some schools have said that they're prepared to ignore this new law. Mm-hmm. If and when that should happen, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to discuss. In the meantime, thank you so much for the report, Aaron. Thank you. Oscar-winning Israeli-American actress Natalie Portman has just appeared in a promotional spot for the animal rights group PETA. The video advocates for animal rights by honoring the legacy of the late Jewish author Isaac Bashevis Singer, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1978. Portman recounts how Singer, whose life and work advocated for animal rights, even invoked the Holocaust in one of his novels to argue for better ethical treatment for animals. Isaac Singer grew up in the same part of Poland as my family. And like them, he fled the horrors of the Holocaust. But the cruelties he witnessed made Singer one of the most powerful writers of the 20th century. The experience appears in his novel, Shosha, in which the narrator laments, we do to God's creatures what the Nazis did to us. 
This video arrives on the 40th anniversary of Singer's winning of the Nobel Prize. Singer's work has and always will be treasured as one of the cornerstones of modern Jewish literature. The writer was originally raised Orthodox and often published his novels in Yiddish. Portman herself has long spearheaded efforts to raise awareness on a range of issues, including women's rights, anti-Semitism, Sudanese refugees, and animal rights. The actress has been vegan for quite some time now. She even recently oversaw production of a documentary film exploring the meat and dairy industries eating animals, which is adapted from Jewish-American author Jonathan Safran Foer's best-selling book. But Portman made headlines here in Israel for a different reason earlier this year. The actress publicly turned down an invitation to accept Israel's prestigious Genesis Prize, refusing to appear alongside Prime Minister Netanyahu for political reasons. Portman made it clear that though she loves Israel and her Israeli heritage, she did not want to appear seemingly endorsing Netanyahu's political policies. Many have often criticized PETA's controversial methods in their fight to promote the ethical treatment of animals. That's probably why some are enraged to see Portman joining their ranks and why others are ecstatic to have her helping their cause. Well, we're still at least another eight months away from the opening of Israel's new airport near Eilat, but the facility is already bracing to receive a flood of global tourists and ultimately transform the southern city of Eilat into a new resort mecca. The airport's just completed its very first trial run, the landing of its inaugural commercial flight, which was greeted with cheers and celebration yesterday on the runway. For the last three years, we see 50 percentage increase in tourism. That's it. It's itself an, an amazing data because you understand that people love a lot. 50% from one year to the other, uh, we never even dreamed it. Uh, it's a blessing for us and we can expect it only to grow. Israeli Transportation Minister Israel Katz was on board Flight 883 to oversee the maiden landing for himself. The new airport was delayed by a few years of setbacks, but as you can see, the facilities are finally up and running. Right now, things are on track to open the airport to the public next March. The Ilan and Asaf Ramon Airport takes its name from Israel's first astronaut, Ilan Ramon, who tragically died, of course, in the 2003 Columbia Space Shuttle. His son, Asaf Ramon, met a similar fate six years later when his F-16 fighter jet crashed. The airport will honor their legacies by embracing the future and creating a new transportation hub for tourists all over the world. The clear skies, warm weather, and crisp beaches of Eilat are some of the best in the world. Low-cost carriers will have plenty of terminal space at the new airport. Ministry officials predict the facilities can take in 2 million passengers a year, making this destination more than competitive with more traditional vacation spots nearby, such as Greece and Cyprus. Oh, and by the way, the city of Eilat is tax-free, and if that doesn't get you racing to buy a ticket, then you don't know what you're missing. Now, as you might imagine, farmers face a lot of uncertainty as part of their job, and that's especially true these days, giving rising climates and unpredictable weather. Well, an Israeli company called Oko is trying to give farmers some kind of a safety net, and here to tell us more about it is Oko's co-founder and CEO, Simon Schwal. So, Simon, thank you for joining us. What does Oko, what do you guys do? What does Oko do? So we use technology to create and distribute uh, low-cost insurance okay. to farmers in emerging countries, uh, especially to protect these small farmers against climate risks. Gotcha. So it's just in Israel, or it sounds like it's all over the world, So we're, we're based in Israel, but uh, we don't aim at the Israeli market. We're starting in uh, Mali, in West Africa. Oh, wow. Uh, we have a pilot, but this is uh, targeting about 2 billion people all over the, all wow. over the world that uh, are dependent on the weather for their income. 
Gotcha. And how exactly does the, the system work? So we have um, a plethora of information today uh, on, available to us. So we use satellite information to look at the weather in parts of the world where there is no, no crop insurance. Sure. So we look at the risk of insuring these farmers. And then we also use this information to verify the claims at the end of the, uh, the season to see if indeed a farmer uh, that is making a claim mm -hmm. uh, has been affected by a drought, a flood or any other natural disaster. Okay, so how much what how much money are we talking about in terms of damage and discrepancy from from weather patterns to farms yeah, like this? So it's about ten to twenty dollars per season for farmers uh, per hectare. So it's a small amount, but it's still significant for this uh, target population. Sure, well, maybe small for one farm, one family, but adding up, that's got to be a huge amount countrywide. Yes, so that's uh, our goal is to ensure hundreds of thousands of people so that we can be profitable. So it's a market of yeah, bottom of the pyramid, a lot of people and small margin on uh, every customer. Right. Now tell me about the pilot program that's happening in Africa right now. What's How many farms is it covering and how's that going? So we're starting small. We're starting with only one region of Mali with only one crop, rice. And um, we have 10 agents, you can see them on the screen. Uh, we have, for now, about 450 farmers that have subscribed wow. uh, on, in only three weeks. So it shows a huge interest in our solution. Wow, interesting. And also farming rice is a different, it's different than farming wheat or crops. It takes time and diligence and efforts and very careful precision. So weather and rain can really flood a rice paddy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. That's been the case in the past and uh, the, the farmers know that. Wow, that's very interesting. This looks like you guys are doing great work and I think a lot of farmers are going to be really grateful for this to come to fruition. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Well, for some, waking up in the morning and swallowing a buffet's worth of medications may be a necessity, but it might not be that way for long. And you might not have to deal with all those terrible side effects either. How is this possible? Well, thanks to Israeli research, medicine is about to become very, very personalized. Now, there aren't many things more personal than our health to begin with, and treatment plans will only become more and more customized as time goes on. But Israeli doctors are leading the charge to treat patients with therapies suited to their needs rather than using those generic medications that everyone wants to avoid. Thanks to the drop in cost of genetic testing, doctors will soon be able to do the unthinkable. Barilan University professor Shalumit Mecheli says that doctors will even be able to diagnose colon cancer, brain tumors, and breast cancer through a simple blood test. Using molecular scissors that can target, cut, and repair genes in a cell, known as CRISPR. Doctors will be able to diagnose illnesses, map out cancer cells using patients' own immune systems to fight cancer, and much, much more. The CRISPR technology will study gut bacteria, and from there, based on the patient's genetic profile, doctors can determine whether or not they'll respond to specific treatments. Oh, and the medications researchers will produce allegedly won't even have any side effects, as they will ideally target only the disease or virus, leaving everything else alone. Now, how great would that be? Well, thanks to recent decriminalization efforts from the government, Israel stands on the forefront of the medical cannabis industry. Using medical cannabis, scientists here developed incredible treatments for a range of diseases, including Alzheimer's, MS, and cancer. And Israeli cannabis firm is now about to go global by setting up a medical cannabis farm in Uganda using seeds from the Netherlands. For now, local laws still prohibit the export of medical cannabis from the country, but companies are finding clever ways to get around the embargo and quickly are making Israel's medical cannabis industry one of the biggest in the country. The Together Pharma Limited Corporation is seeking a new benchmark in the field, one which will potentially be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And all they had to do was set up shop in Uganda, importing seeds from the Netherlands to do so. Together Farm is one of some 50 firms in Israel pioneering the medical field and seeing potential treatments derived from cannabis. Once considered something of a total taboo, recent breakthroughs in medical research have made countries around the world realize the plant's positive uses. 
Cannabis oil, for example, is actually one of the most in-demand ingredients in beauty products ranging from skin oils to creams, perfumes, and facial masks. In Los Angeles, I'll say, if you order a cup of coffee, you can actually get it infused with certain cannabis products designed to help you relax. The World Health Organization is currently considering a total reclassification of cannabis from a controlled substance in order to promote its proper use and study all over the world. Right now, the industry is worth several millions here in Israel, but if the government were to greenlight foreign exports, that number would skyrocket into the billions. And I got to say, that's a lot of green for a lot of green. Well, Israel's latest world-renowned title-slaying athlete just bested players from all over Europe, and she's still in grade school. Seven-year-old Lia Levitan has been declared the winner in her age group at the 2018 European School Chess Championship, a 10-day tourney of the most intense child chess you will ever see. But make no mistake here, they may be small, but these kids take their game very, very seriously. This second grader is quite the special talent, and her win at the European Championship means that she'll go for world glory next year at the 2019 World School Championship, which will take place in Tunisia. Little Liel is actually part of something of an Israeli chess-playing dynasty. Her older siblings, Ronit and Yoron, are former chess champs themselves. Ronit actually placed third in the World Championship back in 2011, when she was seven. The family lives in northern Israel, where they practice their skills in the Israeli Chess Federation's Greater Haifa Club. And clearly, all those hours have paid off big time. And I don't care how old you are, mastering the complex, strategy-driven game of chess is no easy task. But Little Liel is now not only a chess master, but also on her way to becoming a world-renowned chess champion. The Hebrew Word of the Day is brought to you by IDC Samrul Pan, open to everyone. And now for our Hebrew Word of the Day. Well, look, sometimes all anyone wants is a little R-S-B-E-C-T. So find out what it means to me and recognize that we all have a right to some respect. Or as we see in Hebrew, we all have a zhut to some respect. Now, a zhut means that you have a right to something, same as any other man or woman out there. A zichut does not, however, mean that you're entitled to anything extra, like a random promotion, a Ferrari, or an extra scoop of free ice cream, for example. Usually, you gotta earn those. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight's sky will be clear with a low of 74 or 21 degrees Celsius, and tomorrow you can expect clear skies and warm weather with a high of 89 or 32 degrees Celsius. 